0: So good to be able to just say, God, we want to praise you in the midst of whatever we're going through. I'm glad you're here today. Those of you online, thanks for being here. I want to start with a trivia question here. Those of you who are sports enthusiasts in Cleveland, here's the question for you. Uh, what Cleveland team's mascot is mentioned in the Bible? If you get it right, I've got a 50% off coupon for you for the cafe. Oh, oh that's right. You already got one of those in the way in, didn't you? Some of you uh, know that uh, you've looked at your notes as you picked up in the door or you're engaging online. Welcome to all of you. You went to the digital bulletin. Uh, which Cleveland team? They just began their season, the Cleveland Guardians, right? Uh, and, and someone after the, by the way, the last service goes, that's not the only team mentioned in the Bible from Cleveland. We have the Lake Erie What? monsters. There's a Leviathan in the book of Job. There's monsters in the book of Revelation. I said, okay, that's that's fair enough as well. I'm going to give you a 50% off coupon as well. And, uh, but guardians, did, did you know that the name is in the Bible today? We're going to see where, uh, and a little bit different kind of guardian, but one that is really a word of encouragement for us today. And here's why we're living in a challenging time, right? Uh, This has been a difficult season in our country. Some of you are finding your way back to a little bit of, you know, normalcy. But you might say, it's just been, there's still relationships that maybe are awkward or there's things that are challenging. And check out this stat right here. Washington Post reported 10 days ago that more than four in 10 teens in the U.S. reported that they felt persistently sad or hopeless. Have you noticed a steep decline in teen mental health. Have you seen that? One in f- five adolescents say they've contemplated suicide. You talk to the parents of teens and you just hear today that there's deep anxiety, there's persistent depression, there's crippling sadness. And it's, uh, it seems like it doesn't matter you know, where you go, you talk to, if it's not your own family, that there's somebody else that you go. They're dealing with some really challenging situations with depression, anxiety, or something you know along the lines of mental stress. And it's not just teens. Adults are facing similar challenges. The Center for Disease Control reports that from August 20 to February 21, U.S. adults with recent symptoms of anxiety or depressive disorder increased from 36 to 41%. You might say, well, Jonathan, that's only 5% increase, but that's in six months. And you say, there's just an indicative of what's happening in our society. And I think for most of us, we, it's not just stats, like it's not just, you know, charts. It's like, we know somebody that's dealing with, you know, challenges today. And you might go, it's me. Like, it's, it's, you're talking about me, Jonathan. Like, I I feel like there's things in my life, and we go, you know, different degrees, but you might say, I've dealt with some real anxiety. I had panic attacks. I've never had those before. I've dealt with some depression and and I'm feeling the pain of what's been happening uh, because of strained relationships or uh, some of the challenges that our society is going through and, and, and you're feeling it. Can I tell you my prayers for you today? My prayer is that you will go into your week with a sense of Reminding that you have a God who sees you and knows you, who wants to be uh, alongside of us, our guardian redeemer. There's the word. We're going to be looking today at what that means. If you've not been familiar with that, maybe you've heard the term kinsman redeemer. And it's more in some of the translations today, guardian redeemer. But what does that mean? I know we can't solve issues of mental health in 25 minutes, but we can certainly be reminded of the truth of who Jesus is and how he sees us, how he sees you. And to know that um, his opinion of us matters more than anybody else's opinion and to know that he treasures and cherishes and loves and Uh, wants us to acknowledge him for who he is and that this concept of guardian redeemer can become profoundly personal for us. How? What does it mean? Let's turn to the book of Ruth. It's the eighth book in the Bible uh, and I want to say while you're turning there, greetings to those of you who are engaging online. Really glad to have you with us and we're extending Comeback Sunday to next week to Easter and the Sundays beyond and when you feel uh, able to to get uh, here in person. We'd love to have you if that works for you. And those who are Lorraine Correctional, want to say to you, to the staff who are with you, really glad to have you with us too. I look forward to being with you in the coming weeks, joining you one of these Mondays, And uh, but we're glad to have you uh, with us. We're in a five-week series entitled Signs, One Story That Points to Jesus. And here's what we've been doing. been looking at the Old Testament and saying uh, Jesus in his own life on earth He looks back at the Old Testament. He says, Did you know that the Old Testament all points to me? There's all kinds of signs. It doesn't say in the Old Testament, like, this is a sign pointing to Jesus, but Jesus says he went through the the law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament, and said, All of these things. I want to show you these signs that are pointing to the day that I would come, what I would do, the mission I would be on. And one of the ones we're looking at here is is in the book of Ruth. I, I wonder if this was one of the concepts that Jesus talked about here. The events of Ruth take place about 1,100 years before the time of Christ. And the book uh, starts with a lot of pain. There's war, there's famine, there's death. And in fact, the opening title in the New International Version says, uh, Naomi loses her husband and sons. And with her is a grieving daughter-in-law, Ruth. The book is named after her. And what you quickly learn is that Ruth is a deeply wounded individual. Here's how it all happens. Just to tell you the story in brief, you have this married couple from Israel, Elimelech and Naomi. And they uh, are living in the land of Israel, which is facing famine, probably a drought. And so it's a matter of survival. They got two young sons. So they decide that they're going to go to a place where they can find food. So they go to a neighboring country named Moab, and they settle in Moab. While they're there, the boys begin to grow up. The boys marry two local women named um, Ruth and Orpah, a little trivia one there as well. That's where Oprah Winfrey got her name. She said her, her mom mixed up the two instead of Orpah, named her Oprah. And uh, true story. And, uh, and so these two uh, women marry uh, Naomi and Elimelech's two sons. But tragedy strikes. Not once, not twice, but three times. And here's how it happens. Let's read verse 3 here in Ruth 1 and see just sort of an overview of what takes place. It says this, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Killian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husbands. Can you imagine? You lose your spouse and then your children. They're all gone. You're crushed. And so Naomi decides to go back to Israel. She's like, I, I hear things are better there. I'm going to go back. I, I need to be cared for by my family. And and Ruth and Orpah both say, well, we're, we're going with you. And she goes, no, no, you got to stay here in Moab, begin a new life. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a grieving woman. You, you just, and Orpah with tears goes back, but Ruth says, no, I, I'm going with you. And they go back to Israel together. Some things we learn about Ruth after whom the book is named. Number one, you'll see this in your notes as well if you, if you picked them up on the way in or you're, you're online. Um, uh, Ruth carried a passport from a different country, a country with a rough history, a rocky start and uh, and a pattern of mistreating others and dishonoring the Lord. In fact, let me just read you a verse from Genesis chapter 19 about how the country of Moab began. It says this, both of Lot's daughters, remember Abraham and his nephew Lot, they had separated because their families became too big. And so Lot goes one direction, Abraham another. It says, both of his daughters became pregnant, how? By their dad. You're like, oh my goodness. The older daughter had a son and she named him Moab and he's the father of the Moabites today. So you might say that Ruth was from a very large dysfunctional family. And then life gets really tough. Ruth becomes a widow, probably in her 20s. And then she takes on immigrant status when she returns with Naomi, her mother-in-law, back to Israel. Now there's something you need to know about. In that day, if you were a widow, that was one of the worst things that could happen to you. And to make it worse, exacerbating the problem would be if you have no children, which was also the case for Naomi, because there's no social security and you were to be cared for by your family. So when her husband dies and then her sons dies, her, her sons die, and then her daughters-in-law and she's, she's left here, she and Ruth together and they're destitute. They're desperate. So they head back to Israel and in this super challenging time, the odds are stacked against them. And you'd understand why if, if Ruth would be like, wow, my life is, I, I've just had one crisis after another, and my, my life, there's, there's no hope. Like we sort of, some people maybe feel today, they go, I, I don't know, I just, I look at my life and what's gone wrong, and there's brokenness, and I've lost the people I love the most, and, and how am I supposed to face the future, and, and I, I financially I'm in a problem, and Ruth had every reason to say, like, what's the point? Like, I don't know. And maybe she thought even about changing your name like her mother-in-law, Naomi. Did you know Naomi goes back, and it says that the people that when she goes back to Israel, they were like, is that Naomi? Grief had had its, has worked its way profoundly on her countenance and just her, and, and it impacted her in such a way they're like, wow, she has been through a lot. And she tells them, she goes, you know what, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me what? Call me Mara, right, which means Bitter. She's essentially telling all of her friends, she goes, call call me Miss Bitter because my life has been filled with bitterness and I have suffered one crisis after another. So what about Ruth? Is she gonna change her name as well? Can I just say something? If your name is Ruth, if you have Ruth as your first name, middle name, you named a child Ruth, you have a very good name. This was a woman with character and strength and says this in your notes, in her suffering, her faith and the Lord is seen by others. In fact, check out verse 16 here in chapter 1. Famous words here. Maybe you've heard them at weddings. She actually says this to her mother-in-law. When Naomi encourages Ruth, she goes, go back to your people. And here's what Ruth says. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And would you say those last four words with me aloud? Ready? Your God. My God, by the way, let me just ask, how many of you have told your mother-in-law, hey, I just wanna tell you where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I'm not gonna stay, right? This was a woman, you see the indication of her heart just by what she does with her mother-in-law. I have a great mother-in-law, if she's in the room right now. I love you, and where you go, I will go, right? (laughs) But those last four words there, she's saying, "I I may have grown up in Moab, and we had our gods, but, but no longer your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is now my God. Your God is my God. And in the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 12, you see this mentioned again, her faith. A community leader says to Ruth in verse 12, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What an affirmation under his wings. Ruth, instead of, you know, sometimes when we go through suffering, we run away from the Lord. We're like, you know what? If God is not going to protect you, I'm, I'm, I'm not in. And Ruth instead says, no, in my suffering, my brokenness, I'm going to find refuge under the shelter of his wings. That's the kind of person she was. She lost so much, but there's one thing she didn't lose. She didn't lose her faith in the Lord and God meets her. In a wonderful way, he shows up, and he does so through, and here's the word again, a guardian redeemer. Now, just to explain a little bit, because it's not a, a term that we use today. In that day, there was a system, you can read about it in Leviticus 25, where if somebody died, if you were a close relative, you could become the guardian redeemer. You'd, you'd guard, you'd, you'd redeem, you'd buy back whatever your extended family had lost through the crisis. And you'd protect it for their family line. We use the guardian part today. Mary and I have five kids, and you know when our first child was about to be born, we were like, we have to choose a guardian for our, you know, whatever children the Lord gives us. And so, uh, you pick people who what? You, you know they're going to love your children as if they were their own. That they're going to provide for them. It's a big commitment. And Mary and I have been guardians for some other people's children, like in the event that something happened. But back in in that day, in Ruth's days, something additionally, you didn't just take. It wasn't just if both parents died you became guardian. If the husband died, you said, I'm going to care for the children, but I'm also going to care for your wife, and she's actually going to become my wife. In fact, when later on, Ruth's guardian redeemer spreads his cloak over her, it's the same word in the original language as you found shelter under the shadow of the Lord's wings. She would find shelter under the protection of her guardian redeemer. And long story short, um, there's, it's really a great love story here. There's a guardian redeemer that comes into the picture, and here's what takes place. If you haven't read the story recently or the account here historically, you'll want to do that. Ruth ends up meeting this guy named Boaz. When she and Naomi wind back up in Israel, Ruth begins to glean. You'd go into the uh, someone's fields, it was legal to do. And after the harvesters would go through, if they dropped an ear of corn, they weren't supposed to pick it up. You just, they leave it for people who were impoverished. And so Ruth would go behind and she'd pick up, you know, this ear of corn and some grapes or whatever was left behind by the harvesters. And she ends up in the field of a guy named Boaz and he sees her and he he starts to hear about her character. And Ruth goes one night and in the custom of that day, she essentially says to Boaz, she goes, would you be my guardian redeemer? Like, would you marry me? Would you spread your cloak over me? And Boaz, impressed with her character and just a, a respecter of the Lord, says that he's willing to do so, but there's one hurdle. He tell her, tells her, he says, there's actually one extended family member who's closer to you than I am by relation. By, and that person has the first option to be your guardian redeemer. So hang tight. Let me check with the city leaders and I'll be back in touch. So he goes to the community leaders, brings them all together in the town square. And, and he addresses, he calls this other guy who's a closer relative. And let's see what happens in Ruth chapter four. If you turn over to the last chapter, it's so just a four chapter book. And, and here's what he says in chapter four, verse five. Then Boaz said, he's in front of all his people, on the day you buy, he says to the other guardian, potential guardian redeemer, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow. In order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, at this the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem her because I might, what, endanger my own estate wasn't willing to do it. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off their sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing. Imagine you're selling your house today. And you're like, hey, just one cell. Let me give you my Nike here. And when we're done signing the papers, you just give it back, right? That was one of the customs of that day. It's all is sort of foreign to us, but it's the way they did it. And so the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed a sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. And then the elders and all the people at the gates said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah... The wives of Jacob, who the 12 tribes of Israel had come from, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And wow, would that blessing come true. Let's drop down to verse 14 just read the last couple of verses. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you, then seven sons, wow, what an affirmation of Ruth, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. the women living there, said, Naomi has a son. Her other ones had passed away, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of whom? David, who would become Israel's greatest king. So Ruth, this foreigner who's now adopted the God of Israel, surrendered her life to him, Becomes the grandfather of nothing, no one less than David, which puts Naomi and Ruth in the lineage of, of whom? Who was born in Bethlehem one day. Of Jesus, right? You'll be famous where? In Bethlehem. If you were to read the Gospel of Luke chapter one, there's the genealogy of Jesus and there are four women mentioned. Among them is none other than Ruth, right? So here's this woman who's destitute, desperate. She's, she has all the odds stacked against her. But her faith in the Lord, and then he meets her through this guardian redeemer, Boaz. I realize the customs are very different than anything we would do today, but all of this, again, is a sign. It's one of the many signs in the Old Testament that points forward to Jesus. Let's see how. First of all, I want to look at the four requirements of being a guardian redeemer. This is from author Clarence Haynes, and here's how he summarizes. First of all, you needed to be in a relationship. You had to be family. Some relational tie had to exist. Secondly, you had to be willing. Remember what the first guy says? He says, I can't do it because I might endanger my own estate. It was too risky for him. He wasn't willing to help, and so a guardian redeemer is a person with a big heart. They they care. They're like, at the risk to my own estate, yes, I'm willing to do this. Number three, you had to be able to redeem. Being willing wasn't enough. You had to actually be able to follow through and have the financial resources. Um, You couldn't just have good intentions. You you had to be able to say, I'm able to do this. I I can make it happen. And then fourth, you had to pay the full price. There was no such thing as a partial redemption. You couldn't say, you know, take the fields, but I think someone else can take the family. Or I'll, you know, whatever. Unless the full price was paid, you couldn't be the guardian redeemer so you yet to be in a relationship willing able and pay the full price so let's just step back a second do you see how this then becomes a sign for how jesus would one day become our guardian redeemer this great 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 grandson of ruth would be born in bethlehem and jesus would fulfill this role how does jesus become our guardian redeemer Let me just, first of all, draw a parallel between Ruth and Naomi and us. Because we might go, I don't need a guardian redeemer. I'm not, or maybe we do. You know what the Bible, the diagnosis for us is that you and I, spiritually, are destitute. We're desperate. Unable to save ourselves. Like we, we, I've been, my sin has separated me from God. And there's no more important relationship in my life and my relationship with Jesus is not with Mary, is not with my kids, it's not with my it's the apostle Paul says, I consider everything a loss, Philippians 3, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing whom? Knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. And if my relationship with God is broken, it doesn't matter what else I have in life. I have nothing. Because ultimately I'm spiritually destitute. And my life is void of meaning here, and my eternity is, is going to be separate from God. And so here we are we're these spiritually destitute people, and we need a spiritual guardian redeemer. Enter Jesus. Look how he meets the requirements. Number one, he became human like us. The only way he could redeem us. Hebrews chapter 2, I wish we had time to look at all these verses and turn to the passages, but Hebrews 2 says this, Jesus had to be made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. So he leaves the wonders and the glory of heaven, and he says, I- I'm going to take on human form and become one of you so that I can be your guardian redeemer. Secondly, he came voluntarily to rescue. Jesus' own testimony, John 10, he says no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it how? Voluntarily. Friends, when we commemorate this Good Friday that Jesus went to the cross for us, make no mistake, he was not there against his will. He wasn't going, man, if someone would just come and rescue me off of the... No. He could have like that, just delivered himself. 10,000 angels, right? but he stayed there because he, he came on a mission. Third, he alone is able to redeem. Back in the day of Ruth, you could be a guardian redeemer and redeem someone's property. And, but spiritually, there's only one person who's able to do this. It had to be someone who, who never sinned, who was a perfect sacrifice. And we read in Hebrews chapter 9, it says this, "...with his own blood." Jesus secured our redemption. He's the redeemer forever. And then forth. he paid the full price. He, he gave his life for us. Titus chapter 2 says this, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. Put your own name in there. He gave his life to free Jonathan from every kind of sin, to cleanse me, to make me his very own. That's what he does for us. If you've put your trust in Jesus, listen to this. If he's come into your life and rescued you, he is your guardian redeemer. You can say, Jesus is my guardian redeemer. Maybe you've never said that. Would you say it with me out loud right now? Ready? Jesus is my guardian redeemer. And friends, when that happens, you and I who were on the verge of losing everything for this life or did lose, I mean, we were empty, right? We were born into a broken relationship with God and our Eternal destiny is at stake in a sense of, can I be part of God's family? Jesus comes as our guardian redeemer. He restores. He rescues. He gives you a new identity in your relationship with him. And the beautiful thing is you never have to worry about being redeemed again because he paid the price once and for all. So when Jesus becomes your guardian redeemer, so much changes. The most important thing about you is not your job, it's not who you're in a relationship with, it's not about your socioeconomic, it's not about what your passport is, it's 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 none of that. The most important identifying factor for you is who are you in relationship to the God of the universe. And when your life is surrendered to Jesus and he's your guardian redeemer, everything changes. In fact, there's a a passage in Galatians 4, I, I would love for you to read aloud with me, that just says what happens when Jesus buys us and redeems us for himself. Would you say this aloud with me? Let's say it together where it starts, God sent Jesus. You ready? God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out. Abba, Father, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Friends, do you see what changes? When you receive him, when Jesus becomes your guardian redeemer, you you can call the very majestic, holy God of the universe, you call him Papa, Dad, my father. You become his heir. You become part of the family. There's new hope. There's lasting joy, there's peace from above. It doesn't mean all your suffering is over, there's no more brokenness, but it means in the midst of that, you know that someone has rescued you, taken you as his own, and that he is going to write the final chapter of your life. In your notes, I put down just a number of the things that you can, declarations you can say when Jesus becomes your guardian redeemer. Just one of those you'll see on the screen says this. You can say, I am assured that God Works for my good in all circumstances. When you love him, when you've surrendered your life to him, found refuge under the shelter of his ring, wings like Ruth, you can say, This is what God does. He takes even the terrible stuff in my life, the painful things, the things that today keep me, make me anxious, and all the rest, and he can work those things for good. You see how Jesus, in the midst of our broken world, a sense of all that's gone wrong, how he comes, and he is the God of hope. I was talking to a friend this week, and they said, you know, I was thinking about raising kids today. They said, when you and I were growing up back in the 1850s, uh, they said, I wonder if maybe one of the words for us could be rebellion. Not just the two of us specifically, although that could probably be said as well, but it was more our generation was like, we're going to, we don't care what the older generation says, we're going to do our things and the music and all the rest was rebel. And they said, I wonder if today, maybe a word that might be a, an indicator, it would be hopelessness. Just what's the point? Like, wh- 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 where's it all going? Not that people today don't deal with rebellion, they didn't deal with hopelessness back then, but is it something that you could say a broad brushstroke that people today just go, I, teens, I, I don't know, what's, what what One in five saying, maybe I just take my life. And we see those kind of things, and I thought, I wonder if it could be, can I remind us today that when we feel the weight of the world's suffering, when you feel personally, you go, wow, I'm going through something right now, that there is one who has come to rescue you and, you know, the book of Hebrews talks about Jesus being the better, the true and the better. He's, he's greater. Think of it this way. Jesus is our true and better guardian redeemer who rescues and restores and who gladly gives you a new family and a forever home. Last week we saw he's our true and better temple. He no longer lives in structures made with human hands, but he now is our temple and he comes to live where? In us, when we surrender our lives to Him in a way that'll never leave us or forsake us. He's our true and better high priest who welcomes us and says, I will take your needs and present them before the Father. I'll intercede for you. He's our true and better Passover lamb who offers a perfect sacrifice so that judgment will pass over my life and miss me altogether because Jesus took the judgment that I deserved and I'm freely forgiven forever. He's our true and better David, the king of. Who, who will reign forever and ever. And, and unlike David, Jesus never messes up and he's humble and gentle and hard, and he's good in all of his ways and we could keep on going. Friends, Jesus came as the answer to not only the world's ills, but to the challenges that you and I face as well. So that when our lives are surrendered to him, we can say, now I am no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since I am his child, God has made me an heir. It's God's word for us today. You might feel like you're going through brokenness, challenges, stress, confusion, uncertainty. I don't know what it is. And you might say, my life, like I feel some hopelessness today. Or maybe someone you loved us. When you start to, see the guardian redeemer know he came for me for us to redeem to buy back to invite us to be part of his family forever friends do you see how that fills us with new hope and to say wow whatever I'm going through now I know I belong to him and he's gonna write the final chapter of my life the first at the top of your notes is from Isaiah 43, and it says this You are precious and honored in the Lord's sight, and He loves you. You think it's a message that people need to hear today? To know who they are when they realize who He is? Friends, wherever He takes us this week, may we carry the presence of Jesus and be dispensers of the hope that only He can offer our guardian, redeemer, coming for us. Let's thank him and surrender our lives to him once again. Lord Jesus, how good to know you, to be able to say that we belong to you. You've bought us with the price of your own life, and so we don't belong to ourselves. Lord, we belong to you, and we want to honor you. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and just fill us with a sense of hope and peace and wonder at what you've done, awe at your, what you would do so that we could be part of your family, Jesus, we're, we're overwhelmed by what you would do at the cost of your life. Lord, I pray, would you help us to not only be recipients of that hope, but, but we would pass it on as well. And that your good news would be communicated through us. Lord, you see in each of our hearts today, we want to say that our heart is to be fully yours, devoted to you, you would be our God. Thank you for what you've done for us and for in your mercy welcoming us into your family. In your powerful name we pray, and everyone said together, amen, amen.